So if you want to meet me there, I'll be reading out of the ESV version. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all, all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he had knocked on the door, at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rada came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and he did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down to, from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon his throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. 
you might have already heard the story of the time boxing champion Muhammad Ali was on board an, an airplane. The flight began to come to an end, and so one of the flight attendants began asking passengers to take their seats and put on their seatbelts. She came to Ali and she said, all right, champ, it's time to sit down and buckle up. And he said, do you know who I am? I'm Superman. Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And she replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane either, so sit down and buckle up. (laughs) We don't like hearing this, but our powers are limited. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. And James asks in James chapter 4, what is your life? You are a mist, he says, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. There are no supermen, there are no superwomen, just mortal men and mortal women. But the good news for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that though they be weak, their God is strong. And around them, over them, beneath them are the everlasting arms of an omnipotent God. A God who spoke and creation was. A God who parted the Red Sea. A God who caused bread to fall from heaven. Who brought water out of a rock and caused a waterlogged altar to set ablaze. The bad news for those who oppose God is that that God is against them. We continue in Acts Today, and as the early church faced persecution once again at the hand of King Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa I, the point to emerge from Acts chapter 12 is this none can stay God's hand. None can stay God's hand. Nations may rage. The peoples may plot in vain. The kings of the earth might set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But our God laughs. Why? Because none can stop his hand. And perhaps those words, none can stay God's hand, sound familiar to you. A number of months ago as a church, we were in the book of Daniel in our Sunday evening services. And you remember after God had humbled Nebuchadnezzar and brought Nebuchadnezzar down from his imaginary heights and off of his paper mache throne, he said, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And there's something so 
perfect about this point on this particular Lord's Day morning, isn't there? Because as I mentioned earlier, in one week we lost our queen, we gained a king and a new prime minister in one week. And though we're immensely grateful for our queen and though we will pray for our new king and for our new prime minister, ultimately, friends, we need to be a people lifting our eyes to God in heaven. Because if our culture continues this downward spiral of rebellion against God and against all that he stands for, and if persecution should come, then for every one look to Windsor, we need to be taking 10,000 looks to heaven, to the place where God is enthroned, to the place where God laughs, and to the God whose hand cannot be stopped. Friends, what are you trusting today? In your moments of danger and peril, who are you looking to today for strength? Where are you seeking a refuge in your hardships and in your disasters? Friend, can I say this? Reject the arm of flesh and trust the unstoppable hand of God. I want us to see first today an urgent need for God's intervention. Michael just read the verses, but let's just read them again. Look at verses 1 to 5 of Acts chapter 12. Luke, our author, says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, that is Peter, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, friends, I understand the impulse within all of you that says, Hugh, the urgent need for God's intervention is right there on the surface of the passage. Just get to the exciting bit of the text, please. But if you'll, if you'll bear with one or two moments of background and explanation, then the drama of this moment will be increased all the more. So let's ask the question, who was the church up against in King Herod, the first, uh, king Herod Agrippa I? Well, the church was up against a king more obsessed than most with maintaining or retaining power. And that was because Herod had not always enjoyed riches and royalty. Believe it or not, this guy used to be such a party animal that he actually had to run from Rome all the way to Palestine seeking escape from his creditors. And there in Palestine, he lived in poverty. When he returned to Rome, he was sentenced to prison by the emperor Tiberius. Tiberius later died And after Tiberius had died, some of Herod's best mates from primary school bailed him out because they themselves had become rulers and kings like Caligula, for example. So in other words, he knew what life was like on the other side and he wasn't willing to go back to it. And that's why he is manipulating the Jews here in Acts chapter 12. He wanted to make them so happy that they would think that he cared about what they cared about. He slaughtered James, the brother of John, with the sword, A, because the Jews hated the idiots who believed in a crucified Messiah, and B, because that's how the Jewish oral law said that such men were to be slaughtered. 
with the sword. And the reason Peter wasn't put to death immediately like James was, was because during the Passover, and then during the seven days that followed it, known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, people couldn't be put to death and thereby desecrate the festival. So again, he was trying to make the Jews think that he was on their side. That he cared about what they cared about. Not because he did care about what they cared about, but because he wanted them to be on his side. But the church had more than Herod's manipulation to contend with. They also had Herod's power to contend with as well. Four squads of soldiers were keeping guard of Peter. Two were chained to Peter. Two were keeping watch outside of Peter. Peter's prison cell, and the squads would take turns in three-hour shifts during the night. So friends, in other words, if ever the church looked hopeless, it was now. If ever the church looked helpless, it was here. If ever there were an urgent need for God's intervention, this was that need. The countdown timer was ticking as each day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread gave way to the next day and Peter's execution got nearer by the moment. So what did they do? They committed themselves to earnest prayer. To earnest prayer. End of verse 5 again. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And in that way, both sides were using their most powerful weapons. Rome was using her soldiers. The church was using prayer. Earnest prayer. And friends, we must join the early church today in such earnest prayer because there are urgent needs wherever we look. And I am going to get into some of those urgent needs in just a few moments. But before I do, I need to speak to the two kinds of doubters who are staring back at me in this moment as I preach. There are some of you whose lives are ruled by the non-urgent needs. And you are so ruled by those non-urgent needs that a sense of earnest prayer evaporates very, very quickly in your life. Getting the kids to school, getting yourself to work on time, making sure the washing, ironing, cleaning, shopping is done, the bills are paid, the birthday cards are written, the emails are sent, the meetings are arranged, the project's on schedule. And again, if we're not careful, all such non-urgent needs take us away from the feet of Jesus, busy with much serving. But then there are others of you who just don't believe in the power of prayer. You would never admit that you don't believe in the power of prayer. But the reality is, it is simply true. It is a fact. When you were a new believer, prayer was everything. But then you experienced such crushing disappointments. The prayer meeting became just one more box to tick and one more burden to bear. But friends, on the authority of the word of God, hear me when I say this, earnest prayer is how God meets urgent needs. Earnest prayer is how is God's chosen means by which urgent needs are met in the world and in our lives. Do you know this past week I came, a sto- I came across a story about a school just before World War II that set on fire and some of the students lost their lives and it devastated the community. And so the new rebuilt school included the most sophisticated sprinkler system in the U.S. at the time. 
And the person telling this story says this. He says, honor students were selected to take citizens of the community on tours through the new school to show them the finest sprinkler system ever assembled. The town continued to grow. And seven years after the new school was built, an addition was needed. As the new construction began, it was discovered that the sprinkler system was never connected. If our souls are not connected to God in prayer, then his divine power will not flow through us to meet urgent needs in our lives. Friends, let us therefore not forget about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who would do anything to join us on a Sunday morning like this one. Uh, Let's not forget about our brothers and sisters who are caught in the crossfire between ISIS and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Let's not forget about our brothers and sisters who are exhausted and freezing to death in North Korea. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And friends, think not of urgent needs only abroad, but what about in your home as well? What about under your roof as well? Think about this. If Peter had been executed at the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he would have been transported into the immediate presence of his Savior. But if some of our family members, if our wife, if our husband, if our sons or daughters died today, they would be in hell. And so to those of you who could be with us on Tuesday nights to pray, but choose simply not to be for whatever earthly reason, please understand that the needs around you are infinitely more urgent than you can ever understand. And God is more able than you could ever begin to realize. And you might say, Hugh, I don't need to attend a prayer meeting to pray. And that's true. But did you notice that in our passage, when prayer was mentioned, it was in the corporate context of the entire assembly. The church gathered together to pray. And friends, so ought we in our day of urgent needs. Well, I want us to see second, an angelic provision of God's intervention. Look at verse six with me. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, 
a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Friends, you see the connection. The church responded to urgent need with earnest prayer. And God responded through this angel and delivered Peter. You remember all the way back in Acts chapter 4 after Peter and John had been arrested and then brought out. They prayed. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And someone said, Herod had stretched out his hand to destroy the church. But here God stretched out his hand to preserve the church. None can stay God's hand. None can stay God's hand. Not the two soldiers chained to Peter. Not the two soldiers waiting outside the door. Not Herod. Not the Pharisees. Not the council. Not the Sadducees. None can stop God's hand from doing all that he wills. And if you want a more modern story, in 19. 64, Zaire was taken over by communist rebels. They arrested, they killed anyone that they deemed to be rebels against the cause. And they arrested a pastor called Pastor Zebiado. And he was loaded into a van with a number of others. The van broke down, so they, the prisoners had to push it. Listen to what happened next. When they finally arrived in front of the angry police commissioner's office, the furious official wanted no further delay. So he lined the prisoners up and ordered them to count off one, two, one, two, one, two. The number twos were marched back to prison. The commissioner then ordered all of the number ones to march double time where they died a few minutes later. In their cells, the twos could hear the sound of gunfire. They wondered why they had been spared and what the future held for them. Pastor Zebiado shared with them his hope of heaven and eternal life. And eight people found the Lord that day. Hardly had the pastor finished ministering the word to them when a very excited messenger came panting to the door door with an order. The pastor had been arrested by mistake. They were to release him at once. Pastor Zebiido bare farewell to the remaining prisoners and returned to his home next to the chapel where he discovered that a crowd of believers had gathered in the house of God and were on their knees praying earnestly for his safety and release Great was their rejoicing when the answers to their prayers walked into the building. The prayer service became a praise service for God's faithfulness. The God of Peter still lives. Amen, church. Friends, since none can stay God's hand, let your faith arise. Let your faith in prayer arise. Let it mount up with wings as eagles. And soar to the throne of grace. And let that be true for us as a church as we pray for revival. And as we pray for hundreds of conversions. And hundreds of baptisms. And for hundreds of prodigal sons and daughters to come home to their father in heaven. And that God would release both spiritual captives and physical captives all around the world. 
and here in Hoylake as well. Ask, Jesus said, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Nor can it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Friends, learn from the example of the church's earnest prayer, but do not learn from their example in terms of their expectation in prayer. They didn't recognize an answer to prayer when it came up and knocked on their door. They banged on the doors of heaven and out of heaven came the answer. But when it came to their door, they sent it away. We've got to do better than that. Two pastors were walking in a forest once. One turned to the other and said, brother, isn't it amazing? We prayed for such and such and it happened just as we prayed. And he turned to him and he said, it's not amazing. We prayed for such and such and it happened just as we asked. That's the order. Ask and you, will be re- and you will receive. Nothing amazing at all. But friends, not only should our faith arise in general, our faith should arise as well when it comes to God's wisdom in all of these urgent needs. Why do I say that? Because the same God who released Peter is the same God who let James die. And the same God who answers the prayers of the church answered their prayers The night before Peter was to be executed, he could have just sent this angel the moment the first prayer was uttered to the throne of grace, but he didn't. He left it a week and he allowed the church to plead the throne for seven days before he answered. Why? Because God's calendar very rarely corresponds with ours. And our ways are not God's ways. And our thoughts are not God's thoughts. But God knows what he's doing. And so friends, let our faith arise both in God's hand that cannot be stopped and in God's wisdom that can be trusted. Are you doing that today, friend? Are you pleading the throne with faith both in the ability and the wisdom and timing of God? That's the call in our lives. That's the call in our lives every morning as we come to pray. It's the call in our lives every Tuesday as we gather to pray. Every Friday morning as we gather to pray, to trust him no matter what and to give him all of our burdens. Well, I want us to see lastly a final demonstration of God's intervention. Look at verse 18. It says, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And friends, the reason for that is because if you were a a soldier and you let a criminal go on your watch, you received the same sentence that they were scheduled to receive. Verse 19, then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blasters, the king's chamberlain, that is his trusted assistant, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. 
And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And that is, they returned from Jerusalem to Antioch where they were before. When they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Well, friends, if we ever needed an example of God's ability to turn a situation on its head, then look no further than Acts chapter 12. We began with Herod laying violent hands on the church. We end with an angel laying a violent hand on Herod. We began with Herod killing James, but we end with an angel killing Herod. We began with Herod seeking to persecute the church, but we end with the word of God multiplying and increasing and growing wherever it went. And Herod joined the ranks of the kings and the rulers and the potentates who were conquered by the unstoppable hand of an unstoppable God. The same Pharaoh who said, I do not know the Lord, nor will I let the people go, was the same Pharaoh who drowned in the Red Sea. And the same Sennacherib who sent Rachipa to mock the, the living God was the same Sennacherib who lost 185,000 soldiers in a single night. And the same King Belshazzar who took the vessels from the temple in Jerusalem and used them to praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, wood, and stone saw the writing on the wall and was killed by the very hand of God that night. Why? Because like Herod, they did not give God the glory. What then should we do? Friends, we should give God the glory. That is what we should do. Great things he has done. If we give ourselves the, the glory, then we will face the same fate that Pharaoh and Sennacherib and Belshazzar and Herod faced. But if we'll give God the glory, then God's hand that killed them will be the same hand that is for us and preserves us and upholds us and causes us to stand. I read this past week about someone called Victor Lustig. He was born in 1890 in what's known today as the Czech Republic and he went on to become one of the world's most infamous con men. And he was reading a newspaper one day in Paris and he read about how the Eiffel Tower was falling into disrepair and into his twisted mind came a sordid idea. He had a, a forger make false government stamps for him with his name. And he gathered the most successful scrap owners in Paris. And he told them that the government was planning to scrap the Eiffel Tower. And that he'd been commissioned by the government to get bids for the metal. And so with 70,000 francs in his hand, he fled to Austria. But in the end, it all came back to bite him. And the end was that he died in prison as a convicted criminal. You see that, friends? He, he assumed an authority that he did not have. And in the end, he was humbled and found his place. If we will live in God's world, under God's reign, as though we ourselves are gods, as though we ourselves deserve glory, 
we are assuming an authority that we do not have. And in the end, we will be humbled. But if we will turn from sin, and if we will humble ourselves before the hand of God, and if we will believe that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us, that he took the punishment that our sins deserve and rose gloriously on the third day, then friends, we will be marvelously saved. And the right hand that caused the church to prosper will be the right hand that causes us to flourish in life and in death and in heaven and throughout eternity. Give him the glory, friends. Great things he has done. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing to God be the glory. Great things he has done.